You're listening to Coming of Cage, a Nicolas Cage podcast. Welcome back to the Coming of Cage podcast. I am your host, Derek. I have my longtime co-host, Ryan, here with me. Hey, buddy. What's up? What's up? Good to see you, too. Uh, and we have our first guest on the show. If you've listened to our other podcasts back in the day, we brought guests on a lot. But this is our first guest for Coming of Cage. So I'm going to introduce the comedian, the writer, the voice actor, Meredith Nudo. Hi. Thank you so much for having me on here. It's an honor to be the first guest and also to talk about Mandy, which is like super one of my favorite movies. Yay. We're really excited to have you. Uh, I missed having guests join us on the show because Ryan and I can be a bit of an echo chamber when it's just the two of us. So yeah. And Derek's opinions can get a little stale after a while. So <sighs> that's hurtful. That's hurtful. Well, it's okay. <laughs> this is exciting. Uh, Meredith, do you want to tell anybody, uh, our listeners specifically about yourself at all? <laughs> Yes. Um, well, like Derek said, I am a writer and editor and comedian and voice actress. And uh, I also host a sporadically uh, updated podcast that was a podcast that then became a radio show here on one of the local uh, stations. And then it became a podcast again called Poppenschlock with my longtime uh, creative partner, uh, Jacob King who is amazing. We just haven't, we, we're are just, our schedules are so erratic, but we don't always review as often as we want to. We've been doing this off and on since 2014 and we like to, we're, we're both English majors. Mm -hmm. So we like to analyze film from a storytelling perspective. And cool. yeah, so we, cause there's so much overlap between the way we analyze literature and the way we analyze film. So that is our perspective. Awesome. Uh, we, did, we did not cover Mandy, though. So I have like all of this pent up excitement <laughs> because I never got a chance to talk about it properly. Well, this is it. This is your big out. chance. <laughs> Thank you so much. So, Both of our listeners, listeners can't wait to hear it. That's right. That's right. Um, so, yeah, we are talking about the 2018 Mandy starring, of course, Nick Cage. Amazon describes the movie as when a nightmarish cult attack Red and Mandy. The shocking assault leads to a spiraling, surreal, bloody rampage of all-out, mind-altering vengeance. Red being the character that Nick Cage uh, plays. So, there you go. That's the film. It is interesting to try and find it on streaming. You can rent it on Amazon. It is available on Shudder and AMC+. And Tubi. And, and Tubi. Yes, that's right. And Tubi our favorite ad supported <laughs> streaming platform. Yeah. So uh, this was my first viewing of the movie. I watched it last night for the first time. Mm -hmm. Ryan, had you ever seen yeah. it before? I had not, you know, I somehow like, I really wanted to see it because I'd heard so many good things about it. And the, uh, you know, your background in our video chat here, Derek, I had seen, you know, that, you know, shot across the Internet many times, uh, along with some other stills from the from the movie. And it made me want to see it. But somehow it slipped under my radar. I just probably because it's not available on any streaming platform anywhere. 
except for ones that you have to pay extra for. So, um, but yeah, that I had not seen it. Uh, I hadn't even read before we started watching it. I hadn't even read the description or watched the trailer. So it was all kind of blindsiding to me. <laughs> blindsiding. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I went in pretty blind too. Now, Meredith, you, you, you'd seen this before. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. I, I saw it when it came out. Um, I saw it I, and I've watched it at home several times. I also have a shutter account. So like, it's pretty easy for me to just hop on and watch it whenever I feel like it. It's a, it's a movie that I like to just have on in the background as well. Sometimes uh, I am a, and I, I'm going to preface this by saying that I, of course, am going to be extremely skewed positive because this has a lot of things that are just very much my, my tastes. I, I like slasher horror stuff. I like uh, Patnos Cosmatos, the director. He also did um, Beyond the Black Rainbow as well. Uh, I, I am a fan of uh, the very surrealist lighting techniques that he uses in, in his movies. And um, I also, I feel like if you just tell me Nicolas Cage chainsaw fight, I'm going to be like, yeah, that's absolutely <laughs> what I'm into. Like that's, he signed me up but i like occult stuff and satanist stuff like wow that that came out wrong um, <laughs> we're learning all I, kinds of things yeah it's an educational program <laughs> friends but i i like those kinds of movies and i really am a big fan of like i, I guess neo grindhouse is kind of the way of putting it like this and hobo with a shotgun where they clearly have a love for the really old style like cold war era grindhouse movies uh and very genre -y stuff that's that's the kind of thing that i'm super into so uh oh oh another good one would be um psycho gorman which is it's more on the comedic side but there's still a very clear love of that genre in there um i like a lot of original grindhouse movies but they're not always the easiest to track down and find that's or fair. remember the names of so like like i said this sort of this sort of reimagining of that with a more kind of contemporary look and critique um it, that's totally it's super what i'm into uh malignant malignant i think would be another good example <laughs> i love malignant so i'm like i said that's part of why i'm gonna be like 20 exclamation points about mandy while also understanding that it's that's not everybody's movie preference. Well, that's so true. I'm going to just say off the bat. So like now I'm a little prone to headaches. I'm not going to lie. Ryan knows this, but this movie gave me a headache. Watching. Oh yeah. I, I got, if, the, if we were not talking about this for the podcast, I don't think I could have finished it. No. And that's very fair because like I said, the way that Patnos Cosmatos lights his movies i could very easily see somebody getting a headache or a migraine from it that's very fair it was wild i'll, I'll talk about like the specific times where it was really bad for me when we when we get to those but you know let's 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 kick things off then so ryan obviously spoiler warnings we don't really do that well on this show but uh spoiler warning since it's a 2018 film seems fair ryan what's your first note that you have well, my first note is actually, uh, it's like a post note after the movie, something that I found out later. I don't even know if it's true, so we're going to have to have uh, Derek fact check, which he does have all my notes after every movie. So <laughs> uh, 
I heard that the director's dad was the one that directed Tombstone, which really? I thought was really interesting. Yeah. That so is interesting. You're going to have to fact check me on that, but I read that somewhere on the internet, which we know must be true. So uh, my first real note from the movie is that Nick Cage is a lumberjack and I'm here for it. Yeah. So real quick, he, he, that is true. His dad directed Tombstone. Oh, okay. Yeah. And Rambo awesome. first blood. Part the Rambo. Two. Yeah. That was another yep. one on the list, but, but for me, Tombstone, you know, come on. Well, yeah. You and Kurt Russell. Uh, we have a relationship that yeah. he doesn't know about. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, and the royalties from Tombstone apparently funded Beyond the Black Rainbow, which if Mandy's lighting gave you a headache, Beyond the Black Rainbow probably would. Yeah, you wouldn't want to see that. I've seen some yeah. clips. Oof. That's good to know. Great um, movie, but but I yeah, I'm I, your health is more important than watching it, I think. Oh, I don't know. We'll see. But I don't know. Based <laughs> on some of the movies we've reviewed, I don't think that's necessarily true. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, that's fair. Um, so lumberjack Nick Cage, I do have to say, I felt like they probably wasted some money on that helicopter. I feel like they probably could have saved a few bucks and just not had the helicopter. Yeah, and the whole lumberjack <laughs> thing doesn't really come into play. Like he does use an axe later in the movie and a chainsaw, but they're not. He doesn't seem to be exceptionally skilled. With and I mean, I don't think lumberjack skills don't really translate to like combat, but I. Attack cutting down trees versus combat. I don't know. It yeah. was it was fun to see, and I was excited. I th- I thought we might get more of that, but it was literally really, really just like a little blip at the beginning where you see he's a lumberjack. I did think it was going somewhere else because he's like on when they're on the helicopter and the other dudes like trying to give him like I'm, I'm assuming like a drink of something. He's like angry. Nick Cage looked mad, and so I did expect something to come of that job. That was a little surprising. I think. Like it's it's very heavily implied that he's a recovering alcoholic. Oh, so really? May, yeah, because like if you think um, the the scene right after I mean, we've already warned you about spoilers, they burn Mandy to death in front of him, and he's stump he's he's able to escape and stumbles home. Notice that when he he goes into the the bathroom, there's vodka stashed in the very back, like it's being hidden. Hmm. I didn't make that like, connection. That's his interesting. First, his first instinct then was to start uh, drinking and start chugging the the bottle of vodka um, and screaming. And I can imagine kind of why he'd be a little like, "Hey, bro, you know I'm going. You know I, I'm working through this. Like, why would you offer me booze?" That's um, interesting. So I would be, yeah. It, it's that, but again, though, I've also seen this movie like a chillion times, so. You pick up on I didn't pick up on that at first, but you kind of do over over time and put things together. Kind of like, um, yeah, yeah, he's a lumberjack, but he does display some very um, careful guerrilla warfare tactics. Oh yes, and that kind and given the eighties setting and his age, he probably fought in Vietnam. Yeah, yeah, absolutely possible. Yeah, so. Yeah, but I mean that's that's kind of what I was what I was thinking because um, he's good at ambush warfare. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. What you got yeah. next, Ryan? Producer Elijah Wood. I know how wild yeah. was that? Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I, I saw that. I was like, that that's got to be the Elijah Wood, right? That's not another guy named Elijah Wood that's just like giving money, but he does some weird stuff. So so I can imagine that he heard the pitch for this was like, oh yeah. I'm in. Yeah, I think Elijah Wood has done some producing for It's Always Sunny in Philadelphia, too. Yeah, he's done producer stuff, and, like, his 
personal projects he's done some odd stuff too so i'm not super surprised by it but it was nice to see that you know can nice confirm it a is a familiar that, f- name it is that elijah wood yes that one i did do my research on because oh. i had i had to know um my next note is i don't really remember the context but eric estrada from chips is the next note yeah it's the joke that he tells oh yeah yeah it didn't really land for me i'm not maybe it's because i'm not a chips fan but i i don't know i don't really i don't know you're you're a comedian maybe maybe meant more to you i had a different i guess i had a different view of it is that it's it's not supposed to be funny Okay. Right. Well, then that I makes got. it that makes yeah, it better. Yeah. I, yeah. I took it as like just a corny, silly, weird thing to establish intimacy and the way that their relationship dynamic works. That he's just the guy that comes home and says really bad ridiculous jokes. bad jokes. Yeah. yeah. That, that's what I that's what I took it as. Like it's not it's not funny. It's just a character and relationship establishing moment there. But that's a, also a, your mileage may vary. No, I, I took that as well. It's just like he's he's not good at telling jokes. That's how I took it. And sure. it is worth noting this this takes place in 1983. That yeah, so Chips noting. is relevant. Yeah. It'd be a little bit of a out there kind of joke now, you know. Which is when I watched it was now. So <laughs> right. But the way it tells context. You it takes place That's in true. That's true. So. Uh <laughs> next I have where is their bedroom? Because so like the way you're introduced to their bedroom, it looks like it's a mattress in the middle of like a a backlit waterfall or something like like you mentioned the lighting that this i think i have something about that later about the lighting overall in the movie but the the lighting that he decides to use he has like this very weird like blue light it is cool Mm -hmm. but it also this house is just basically all windows and it it was it was a little weird and it was hard to like you know are they're in a bedroom or they i don't know maybe i'm just too like literal no no i i'm with you there like everything about where they live is everything i don't want in the place i live like (laughs) they're in the middle of nowhere they've got windows everywhere so if someone does come by that you know they can see everything going on inside oh yeah you know like if a bear were i I don't know if a bear were to show up i don't know is that that a thing where they are it could just like crash through that glass and they're done like it's just that house stressed me out I, I feel like that about the house from uh, that Lita and, and uh, Hector were living in in Sandman. If you've watched that, they have that all glass house. And every definitely time similar. I, every time I watched that, I was like, this is my nightmare. <laughs> and, and, like, yeah. it, it, aesthetically, it looks great. But the practicalities of living in something that people can see you in gives yeah. me it gives me hives. Like, like just looking at it makes me upset. Yep. And um, I, at first, I thought it was like a screened-in patio. At first, yeah, that that's my, what I thought too. Yeah, but then you know, as you get time some better goes looks on, at it later. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, random Marvel reference was the next thing. He says Galactus is his favorite planet. I yes, <laughs> so which is cool, but it's it's a yeah. weird character establishing thing. Like he just happens to follow Marvel while he's lumberjacking. Well, Nick Cage does. Like it's I think Nick that Cage. line. Yeah, there's some really interesting stuff in that exchange because he also says Saturn's his favorite planet, but that's the name of his production company too. It's yeah. Saturn Productions or something like that. Um, so I think that's just Nick Cage putting himself in the movie a little bit. I Put think I think Nick Cage put himself a lot of bit in this movie. That's true. So I did read that apparently the day before shooting started is when his wife and him divorced. Oh no. The day before. And he, I guess, didn't see it coming. 
you know, obviously, like, I mean, who knows, right? But that's what he says. And so um, that probably uh, pushed his emotions a bit in particular directions. Yeah, it's worth noting that before this uh, Marvel reference, she says that her favorite planet, I think, is Jupiter. Yes. And then at the very end of the movie, there's Jupiter in the sky, very huge, which was a little weird. I'm like, okay. Yeah. And and before he, in the final battle, uh, Jedediah refers to him as a Joven warrior. Yeah. I didn't make those connections. Mm Mm-hmm. So I'm going to be honest, the, the tail end of the movie where like they pan up to the sky and I'm sure we'll talk about this more as the movie goes on. I thought that was supposed to imply he was on like an alien planet. Well, I mean, yeah, it's not really like it's not hand. You're not getting handheld into like what all these weird stylistic choices are. But that was one that uh, I I, I kind of liked that once I figured it out and like thought about it. Yeah. Um, yeah. I like, nice. the, I like the beauty and the ambiguity. But that's I mean, again, that's another sort of movie type that i like is it real or is it like a magical world and so much of what seems very surreal here could be written off by the fact that the entire last third of the movie is fueled by all the drugs all the drugs so many drugs drugs, multiple drugs so maybe maybe jupiter really was hanging in the sky and he's on a, a different planet maybe he's on drugs maybe it's both like i love that ambiguity i I think it's it it i think this is a very masterful work of surrealism Mm. that does make you question the reality of it uh and i'm gonna i'm gonna make comparisons again to beyond the black rainbow uh beyond the black rainbow was a straight up science fiction story where there isn't that degree of ambiguity so i really liked uh the application of that sort of sensibility and the the surrealism into something where you're just like, I don't even know what is and is not real. I love that. I love that for them. Interesting. I, I had a hard time. I have a hard time believing that was it the, what they call the black riders, the guys on the motorcycles. Yeah. Um, I have a hard time believing they're human. After the yeah. movie. That's just yeah. my take. You know, I don't know. Right. No, you're, you're giving me a skeptical look. <laughs> no, I mean, it's it's very ambiguous. Uh, yeah. You know, that was one of the things I didn't really have a problem with that. The the demon bikers, which we'll get to. But that that was not really a problem for me once I realized what this movie was again, oh, it's probably going to be. Yeah, I don't mean to say that it's a bad thing. I just meant like I I thought it was an alien like they were aliens. Yeah. Yeah. They could also be. They could demons. have been. Yeah, yeah. they did. They don't really say. Well, I mean, they try and explain it, but nobody really knows, right? Yeah. Like, right. I mean, that one takes a an arrow through the neck and mm-hmm. just like takes it out, and he's like, "Well, I'm okay." Drugs and um, stuff to you, right? Exactly. But that That's could also true. be written off as, again, is it drugs? Are they demons? Are they the the people from Hellraiser? You know, they looked like cinnabites, oh, right? They absolutely. Well, there's was... definitely references to that. There's oh, a lot absolutely. of that, like reference to other horror movies. You know, they they live by Camp Crystal Lake, which yeah, I mean that's so heavy-handed. I I, I definitely was. like the more subtle, you know, clues to uh, or, or homages to other horror films, but mm-hmm. that one was pretty on the nose. Probably the most on the nose <laughs> one. Probably a little unnecessary. They could have done something a little better than that, but. I think they were like, well, we need a name that's like in horror that people will recognize. And like, well, there's only one lake. So that, yeah. that's all they had to choose from. Uh, they also lived on Elm Street, I'm sure. You know, like, <laughs> we're going to get really creative. 
my next note is do they live in a painting because i think this was after they went to sleep in that weird bedroom uh that like it showed the sky and the sky just like started morphing so that's also why that was a hint of aliens to me like between what was happening in the sky the bikers when they first show up kind of the the way it's shot makes it look like they were flying at first yeah you know and then you've got the the sky at the end like that for me was just like there's alien stuff that's that's my take and what i really like what i really love about this movie is that that makes sense (laughs) like saying it's aliens sure that interpretation totally works they're demons that interpretation works everyone's on drugs and seeing and, and everything takes place in a reality that we would recognize but it's heightened because of the drugs like all of those are completely reasonable interpretations and that's why i love it because well, we know for a fact that that they were on drugs like that's true. right that, that one's not debatable. It's like, True. but the okay, other things fair. that that part, the other parts, could be like thrown in there too. Aliens and drugs, you know that. Right. right. Do the aliens? Yeah, the aliens drugs. are taking the drugs. There you go. Maybe that's it. <laughs> uh, my next note is creepy lady in the water. So his wife. There's like this weird. Okay, and and I'm yes. gonna get into it a little bit. Um, I know you love this movie, so I'm gonna try and phrase these things in ways it's that okay are not super not- offensive. And why it's not going to offend me that you don't like it or or have issues with it. People's because... movies' choice are very personal. I understand I that, so I try, I try to be nice about. Things. I appreciate that, but like I said, I've been doing film crit stuff off and on since 2014. You have to be able to not. It's not like I made this movie. <laughs> That's true. Um, so I feel like there's a term I'm trying to think of, and maybe one of you can can remind me of what it is i can't think of the actual term what comes to mind is self-gratification which not in like the masturbation sense but in the sense of like they did a lot of things in this movie that they just i'm guessing the director was just like wanting to do artsy fartsy type stuff and and that's fine and i don't do a lot of indie movies because i don't really love the artsy like let's have a random shot of a woman's face half covered in water that doesn't do anything for the entire plot um you know and there's that's not the only shot like that there's a lot of shots that are just random and have nothing to do with the plot and it just feels like they were added so that people could feel like they're artists and i'm not saying they're not artists because clearly the people that are involved in this movie are 100 artists but i don't think they need that kind of stuff to get that across that they're artists it it, i don't really self-indulgent maybe would be the better word yeah yeah that shot in particular confused me because I wasn't sure it was Mandy because we had barely seen her at that point and her, you know, it's, it's mostly been dark. And so her face has been primarily obscured. And so for a, a bit, I didn't know who that was. And then when there was no other person, I just assumed it was Mandy. Yeah. And right. I was under the impression it was Mandy too. It was, it was weird. It was, it's an odd shot. Cause he's sitting at the fire again. He looks angry and upset. Right. Like, obviously, once she's kidnapped and dead, like he has all the reason in the world to be upset. But we don't know why he seems to be in a bad mood at the beginning of the movie. I found that kind of ambiguous. Yeah. Yeah, I don't I don't I that was ambiguous to me, too. I just it bothered me a little. I really like at the end of the day, I did really like this movie. um, But there's a lot of things about the movie that bothered me. And, and it is it is extremely self-indulgent it just happens to be self-indulgent in ways that i find agreeable that's fair <laughs> but I, mean, I that's think, totally fair but i think self-indulgent is absolutely what this is um yeah. as, like, and, and 
like I said, you, you notice patterns. I, I, like I said, I don't know if you've seen Beyond the Black Rainbow, but you know, you can obviously, all directors who have multiple works, you can see patterns emerging for sure in what they like and there's a lot of similarities between this aesthetically the lighting the lighting choices especially um very long lingering shots of uh women in various degrees of dress that are you know and and um you know in in men as well in a yeah. couple cases at least in this <laughs> yeah one. but um <laughs> you know and and like i don't mind those things as if i find them aesthetically pleasing even if they don't necessarily ha add anything to the storyline because at the end of the day i'm still a kid that went to art school <laughs> so you know i i forgive it while also recognizing that it is and maybe this movie was made for people that went to art school I mean, I'm sure it was, and I'm one of those people. So. Sure, and that's that's perfect. It found its audience yeah. with you, with me. You know, I some of these things did not quite land. Um, I based on this would probably not watch any of the other the other movies this person is involved in right. if they're all fairly similar, and that's fine. You know, it is what it is. I he he clearly has an audience, and like I said, I did enjoy a lot of this movie, and I'm of the opinion that the more out there oddball like weird ass films that we get the better because i like I, you know you can only watch so many cookie cutter marvel films uh before you're like okay i need like a palate cleanser you know but something still, like so i still i still go out and watch marvel movies oh so do i i, I yeah every I, single one yeah i i like that i like that there's a variety i wish that that the variety was more accessible right uh, but that's a rant for another day um <laughs> But at the end of the day, even even movies I don't like, I'm still glad that they exist because I sure. know people that like them. Mm -hmm. You know, yeah. and I, I don't believe in forcing people to like, like, I'm, there are so many people I know and love where I'm like, I love this movie. I don't think you would. Yeah. Like, this is not like, don't, just because I love it. I know your tastes and this is not to your taste. Um, but like, the only the only exception being Ketty, the documentary about the cats in Istanbul. Everyone should love that. Well, I that's, do love cats. That's the only universal movie. Um, and I feel like that's that's the real like Voigtkampf test is did you watch <laughs> did you watch Ketty and feel something? And if you didn't, then probably you're a replicant. It's Good to know. certainly possible, yeah. yeah. Good to know. The only it's the only movie that I would and that I would recommend to a universal audience because, like, it, it, I mean, you don't even see anything bad happening to cats just to create drama. It's literally just an hour and a half of people in Istanbul love their 100,000 feral cats. Fascinating. <laughs> okay. Yeah. All right. Well, let's Sorry. cycle back. Yeah, let's move yeah let's... apologies. I'm a tangenty kind of discusser. You're okay. You're okay. Ryan, what's the next note? What so like got? pretty much throughout the rest of this movie, there's going to be a lot of notes about how culty this cult is. Uh, <laughs> my next, my next note is so, so culty. They were very, not the cult, but the way this movie was done, it was extremely heavy handed. And I get that this is a grindhouse thing. It didn't really bother me. Um, they, they were so heavy handed with how culty this cult is. Oh yeah. Some cults you like, Oh, this guy, you know, he just seems like a nice guy. Like, you know, I, I could see how people would hang out with him, but, Everyone in this cult 
the most culty person you could have possibly imagined, literally in every aspect. Well, and and he was he was like just Charles Manson with the serial numbers filed off. Yeah, pretty much. He was also like the cult, the not cult, the, the folk singer that failed. <laughs> yeah, but it's better than a, yeah. Singing a song about himself. Yes. That was so weird. <laughs> it was so cringe. Yeah. I was like, I like the Carpenters. <laughs> I'm probably going to offend some of our listeners. Well, none of our listeners, because I doubt there's anybody with this name. But I said that Jeremiah is the most culty name. It is so, a little is. on the nose. Sorry, Jeremiah's out there. Yeah. We love you. I hope you're not cult leaders. <laughs> That's fair. <laughs> I mean, fair. just in general. Yeah. But I mean, to to their credit, though, these actors who like, I don't really know many of the people in this movie. Right. I, I know I know Bill Duke, you know, but uh, other than that, the cult people really sold the cult. Oh, yeah. Especially poor Lucy. <sighs> like, oh. I really bought into what they were doing. I will say that much. Wow. I mean, they they came off. And may, maybe it's my own uh, my own biases against such things but they came off exactly how i picture those people well remember like it's <laughs> they call them like hippie jesus freaks which they would have probably been about 70s throwbacks kind of when that sort of thing was at its height mm. yeah yeah i think that's fair everyone in the cult is always 100 percent full cult that was my next note yeah because there's no like there's no shades of gray in this cult like in terms of white or black they're they're on that end Whatever mm-hmm. in that cult is on, everyone in that cult on all the time. The it only, is fine. You want only... you're supposed to hate them, right? And, and right. like I get, and they did. They succeeded with that. I do think that there was one exception though, when they had the uh, at the very end when they had the chemist who was oh, making yeah. the drugs, and mm. Red was going through, and he's like, "Man, what did they do to you?" And then told him where the compound was because he's like, "I'm I'm just done." He mm-hmm. so I almost feel like he was the closest member of yeah. the cult who, at that and lucy was extremely hypnotized but lucy also if you watch didn't really do anything all of that was lucy horrible. the one that was basically just like pleasuring him she was yeah. the one who like held I'm the gun to her head she played yeah. russian roulette okay yeah she was uh-huh. also like it was it, the the chemist and lucy were the only two that red spared yeah right um because lucy was not involved like lucy did was the one that was actively kind of like distressed looking mm-hmm. when they were burning um when they were burning mandy and she didn't physically harm him or i think she held her up along with Mar- marlena what's her name don't uh, ask me i'm terrible yeah sorry Mar- marlene, so Ma- mother marlene yeah mother marlene i think she she like helped her carry her around but lucy wasn't actively taking part in assaulting or murdering anybody and the chemist like empathized with him in the end so they both got let go so yeah they all bought into it but there were at least a couple that's true i guess i'm when i was i was thinking like the main member because like the chemist you don't really see at least at least maybe i didn't notice him until the until that one moment with the tiger and all that stuff but you know Lucy was there, I guess, all the time. But I guess I I just put her even as 100% full cult because she was doing everything that she was told. Of course. There was no, you know, combat 
you know, in, in verbally or otherwise, you know, it was, she was there. She did. She literally put a gun to her head, played Russian roulette, you know. So no, she was, was full dark. Cult. She was, she was brainwashed. Cult. She just wasn't dangerous. Yeah. Right. That's absolutely true. Mm-hmm. Uh, my next note is something that bothered me about the movie. And I'm, and again, I'm sure it's a stylistic choice, but for somebody that doesn't have the best hearing in the world, uh, everyone whispering constantly, like throughout the whole first, basically until the, until the meeting with the guy from predator uh <laughs> the, the, everybody is whispering constantly in the whole movie and and i was really struggling and since i didn't stream this uh or had the option for subtitles with the way that i watched this movie that was difficult for me i was i a lot of the dialogue i feel like i missed or misheard oh um, yeah no a lot of movies are like that I, these days like i i have to watch stuff with subtitles now I tried to, but yeah, I didn't unfortunately have the option for this one because yeah. we don't en- endorse well, the way I watched this movie. The thing is, too, though, the subtitles in this movie kind of tell on itself a bit, though, because a lot of characters speak while they're off screen. And so before you're really introduced to anybody, before you know who they are, if they're talking off screen, the subtitles, at least through Amazon, tell tell you who's doing the talking. And so you kind of get introduced to characters before the movie intended you to. Yeah. Which mm, is a little weird that's at not the same time. But like it's hard though, right? Because if you have if you need the closed captioning because you can't hear, how else do you know who is the person talking if they don't denote right. that in some way, right? So like, there's not a right answer to that, but it is kind of like a catch twenty two. The shutter the shutter subtitles are like that as well. Yeah. Yeah. And I'm I not surprised because like you I'll... need that. It needs yeah. to be that way. There's not like an alternative I can think of. It's just you know, it has I its just, own downside. Honestly, with the way that audio is sometimes, I just wish that subtitles were standard. That's another argument. That's another argument yeah, for another absolutely. day. But like standardizing subtitles would be a gift. It should be like in video games where you can like turn down the music, but turn up the dialogue. Mm-hmm. You know, I would do that. <laughs> and you love the music. So that would be a weird thing for you. Well, the, the music was actually probably one of my favorite parts of the movie. I thought the music was really well done, um, which makes it even more sad that the composer uh, died during production. But did, um, yeah. yeah, that's really sad because the movie's dedicated to him. Um, but it's just, you know, the way Meredith, to your point, the way movies are mixed now, it's the dialogue is difficult to hear unless yeah. you have just a crazy setup at home. There was an article about that recently, and I can't remember off the top of my head where it was. But that's why sound um, editing and sound mixing are very important fields. Yeah, <laughs> and they deserve. It, no, they really are, and <laughs> they deserve better. Yeah, but it's it's just it's anywhere. Like even at even at movie theaters, I'm still like I have no idea what they're even saying. Yeah, it's because um, they want to rock the seat. You know, you got to have that Dolby. You know the. The Christopher Nolan, the blah, and all that stuff. That's the cool. I don't want my seat rocked. I want to follow the story. Wow. Yeah. Well, luckily in this movie, there really isn't that much story to uh, to follow. <laughs> yeah. It's about as straightforward. I was kind of hoping that there would be a twist at the end, which we'll get to later. But um, yeah, it was it was super straightforward, which was refreshing in some ways. In other ways, I wish it was just there was a couple little somethings along. But um yeah my next note is playing with the window because i think oh, I, if i remember right there's this, there's like a <laughs> yeah. scene that goes on way too long where yeah, somebody, oh the, the the cultist guy is like playing in the, with the window. Yeah. yeah 
Have you two seen Eraserhead? Yes. Uh, probably, but I don't remember it. So yes, this, this movie to me is what you would get if David Lynch did like gore porn because it's it's a very dark horror version of Eraserhead in so many ways. There's a scene in Eraserhead where a character, she's trying to get a suitcase out from under a bed and she keeps hitting the bed as she's trying to get the suitcase out and it goes on forever. And yeah. I remember yelling at the TV in my dorm room with my roommate when we're watching this movie because I needed her to stop. That's there's, what that scene was. Yeah, there's also a ghost story where Rooney Mara spins this, it's five minutes of Rooney Mara eating a pie. See, yeah, that's just too much. Eating a pie on the floor before, yeah, uh, like she's grieving and she runs to the bathroom to throw it all up. But um, that's another example of like the self indulgent stuff, I think. Oh yeah, mm-hmm. and it's it's fine if some people like that. Then more power to them. Obviously, the director did, so it didn't really build any extra tension for me. Like I was trying to figure out what the point of the scene was in terms of like the story and the greater story of the movie and how it's being presented. And I thought maybe they're just trying to build tension or like, I don't know, but I didn't really get that. To me, it came off as that's how aloof these other cultists are. Like brother Swan knows what's up, but nobody else other than, um, um, what's his face other than Jeremiah, of course, but the others have no idea really what's going on, what the stakes are, what's really happening. And so, yeah, that guy's just like messing with the window. Cause he couldn't care less. He's just bored sitting in the car and it goes on way too long. And I think that's just the nature of like digital cinema. Cause you don't have to pay for the film, right? You can just keep rolling, right. let him do his thing. But in this case, I think it had to do with just showcasing that they're, they don't know what the stakes are. They're just there. The Lynch comparison is very apt in this case, I think. Yeah. Required uh, taste. Oh, well, yeah. And, and Lynch, one of Lynch's hallmarks is the ability to make the mundane seem really creepy and horrifying. Um, True. But I'll be, I'll be honest. I, the, the window going up and down was funny, but I, like you said, I don't think that the pacing of that scene necessarily worked in the context of this movie. Mm-hmm. I'm glad we agree on that. That's <laughs> I mean, I'm not saying we're not going to agree on anything, but there may not be a lot of things that we agree on in this movie. So it's good to have at least one. Right, and I, I hope you don't think that like when I disagree with you on something that I'm trying to make you concede to no, me or you're anything. Totally, totally like, fine. I I am though. I okay. <laughs> but like I I concede that that you interpreted it one way and I interpreted it another. And uh, that's the beauty of art, right? Yeah, exactly. My next note is, of course, there's a demon biker gang. <laughs> because I like yes. I said I hadn't, I hadn't read the like synopsis. I didn't know that there was a demon biker gang in this movie, but somehow when they showed up, it just was like, okay, you know, that's not that crazy for this movie. And they're cannibals. Yeah. Well. Yeah. I mean, it's kind of weird because the it's is implied later that the guy gives them LSD. Mm-hmm. Like that's what the thing is. But then they also want a sacrifice of a person. Yes. So, I don't know. It was a weird, it was a weird thing. Yeah. In any case, yeah, it was, it didn't bother me that much that it was a demon biker game. Cause of course there is. Why wouldn't there be in this? Right. Movie? And like, this takes place in, in 1983, which is like the, the height or at least starting to build up to the big satanic panic. Right. So I'm just like, that's awesome. It, I mean, they have I, those I, kids in their Dungeons and Dragons. <laughs> yeah, exactly. 
So like, I don't know. I thought it was fun. They reminded me a lot. Not only we talked about Cenobites earlier, but um, if you've ever watched um, uh, Hobo with a Shotgun, they reminded me of the plague. Uh, the, the guys that come in and if you kill one of them in battle, you have to take his place. Interesting. And they so I, I got a very different vibe from them. Uh this this probably isn't a good thing. They reminded me of the like the wasteland outlaw people from the Stallone Judge Dredd movie. I can see that. I know Ryan, you hate that movie. I wouldn't say hate, but like <laughs> I don't like it. <laughs> but you know who I'm talking about though, right? Yes, because okay. you made me watch it. I did. I did. <laughs> That's true. <laughs> I can see that though. I can definitely see that. Or or even something like out of Mad Max. Yeah. Mad Max, there's a lot of comparisons that could be made between this and Mad Max, I think. Um, oh yeah. Pacing is a big one, I think. The I, I had only seen Mad Max uh Beyond Thunderdome, basically the sequels to Mad Max. I had only seen those in like maybe five or six years ago. I saw Mad Max on a streaming network and I was like, I'll watch the original. Why not? instantly regretted it because the movie is super boring for like two hours then like the last half hour is it really exciting this movie was less boring in the beginning but it was certainly like very slow paced and you know build up right to the ending similar to mad max when i say neo grindhouse that's one of the things that i mean by that is that one of the hallmarks of grindhouse cinema is that you have like an hour or two hours even sometimes and the climax is only maybe about 20 minutes to 15 minutes of actual action. Um, this was paced better yeah. than I think a lot of them because it still had some horror buildup and, and things. But a lot of those older movies are like that. Um, even um, when, when Robert Rodriguez and Quentin Tarantino did their Grindhouse movies, um, Death Proof was paced exactly yeah. like that too. That's true. Mm-hmm. Only the last 20 minutes was when anything picked up and the first hour and a half was just build up. It was just people sitting around talking in cars. And lots of foot shots. Wow. Oh, yeah. You know, Tarantino. But to this movie's <laughs> credit, the title card doesn't show up until you're over an hour in. Yeah. So <laughs> the rest is just a prelude. <laughs> Apparently. Uh, yeah. the lighting in this movie is really fun is my next note. I did like, you know, I do like to find things that are like, yeah, I would like to see more of in other movies, you know, people taking creative decisions that are against the norm. And I thought a lot of the lighting, which you've mentioned several times and, you know, the way they utilize fog and smoke and things like that against the lighting, um, I thought was really interesting and, and fun in this movie. Maybe the whole movie as a whole story is not super fun based on, the horrible things that happen in it but uh the lighting was a standout for me for sure oh yeah it, it definitely created mood and atmosphere and it added to the surreality of it there were definitely parts i liked from the lighting perspective like the shot that i'm using as my virtual background towards the end when he's you know drenched in blood and he steals the car and he's just like that crazy grinning looking at the uh, imaginary mandy but other shots were just really disorienting to me which i'm sure was on purpose Right. So like when I say that the movie gave me a headache, I know that part of that was the goal was to create an uncomfortable viewing experience. I think I'm my eyes are just overly sensitive to that. And it was just too much for me. Right. But like and that's, this, there's nothing wrong with that. Right. You know? It's OK like, that you feel that way when she's drugged, when Mandy gets drugged. Right. And like everything's kind of um, 
you know, sh- there's things that are overlaid on each other. And there's the shot where Jeremiah is talking like right at the screen, like it's right framed in his face and mm-hmm. it keeps morphing back and forth between his face and her face. That was just like super unsettling. They did yeah. that very well. It's very um, nauseating. Yes, exactly. Yes. Yeah. My next note, I think is happening right when that's happening. I, I my next note was I was not mentally prepared for this. <laughs> <laughs> I, mean, I could have said that multiple times in this movie. Sure, but that was the first point where I was like, okay, I wish somebody had warned me of like, like to get me it. I feel like this movie you're supposed to watch while you're uh, doing illicit substances, probably. Um, which is not, <laughs> I'm not to, not to say you couldn't enjoy it, enjoy it without that because I did enjoy it without that, but I feel like with that was made with that in mind mm-hmm. because I think to to your point of headaches and. Uh, you know, that kind of thing. I think that would have probably lessened that and you would have maybe like, I don't know. I'm not one a user of those kind of things. So I, it's hard for me to speak on what that experience would be like, but I definitely feel like I felt like I was maybe having some sort of trip or the closest thing I would could have to that without mm-hmm. being on drugs while watching this movie, which take that as a compliment or not. <laughs> uh, but there, that was definitely a part when I was like, okay, this is happening. I probably shouldn't be saying this while I'm job hunting, but speaking as somebody who has <laughs> ingested illicit substances, both consensually and non-consensually, I actually prefer watching it sober. Fair enough. Fair, Fair honestly, yeah. because I want, I like being able to watch the details mm-hmm. and appreciate the details. And that's not something I could do if I was high or drunk. Um, no, I actually don't even like being high or drunk. Um, because I miss those details. Yeah. No, I think that that's fair. Um, and the, the, these scenes are kind of sandwiched together. So like the abduction scene is with all of the flashing, right? Because there's some electrical thing going on, which again, led me to believe that there's something beyond human happening here. Yeah. Um, but the flashing was so intense. Like it, that's what really set off my, my headache issues. And then you've got, once they capture her and they're like drugging her, what is the giant wasp creature that they have stinger in the yeah. neck? What the hell was that? Yeah. Oh my God. That's, that's another thing that like, that like adds to the, is this even real life? Because wasps don't do that. Like, is that There's, a real bug? Is that a thing that exists? I don't think so. I don't was think it, there was it, was it, maybe I'm wrong, but when I saw that scene, I thought that like the wasp was in some sort of liquid. Yes. So I feel oh. like maybe the stinger was coated with maybe LSD or something. And when okay, it's that, that was like how they injected it instead of using it. It was strain. huge. It was like five, it was six very inches, big. you know, like. Well, I, maybe it was one of those Japanese wasps. Yeah, murder, murder hornet. Yeah. So I, I have a bit of arachnophobia, so I, I don't do well with spiders, but like giant bugs being s- forced to sting people and that's, that's borderline for me. See, so. this, is, this is a movie that, again, this is another discussion, probably one of those movies that could have benefited from content warnings ahead of time, as well as like yes. an epilepsy or migraine warning. Like yes. I, I get migraines. Um, Same. The, the lighting in this movie is not the type of migraine, is not the type of thing that triggers my migraines, mm. but I would have... I'm there's I would have been like, you know what? I could see this giving someone a migraine. They probably should warn you. And that's the me. So I, I get migraines yeah. as well. And this is the kind of thing that that can trigger those for me. So like, yeah, that, not that it would have stopped me from watching it because we had already had this all planned and, and all that. But for like an average viewer, it would be nice. Right. Especially see, when like, it's streaming. Like you, you could 
put those tags on and streaming pretty easily you know that's true um what was i gonna say like i get migraines from like like spider-man movies where he's swinging around that gives me yeah that gives me migraines versus the way that lighting is done gotcha so for me it's more of a motion sure kind of trigger yeah my next note is i like his robe very star wars sith chic (laughs) uh sir that robe looks exactly like the robe spock wears in star trek three and four Okay. Just saying. It probably, it probably it actually belongs to Nicolas Cage. <laughs> Certainly possible. Like probably. it probably, it probably was just something he had on his own sitting around, and he's like, "I'm gonna wear this," and they're like, "Well, we're not gonna argue with you." <laughs> it was wild. No, no blinking is freaking me out. I'm not sure which scene that was from, though. I feel like maybe that was the scene when the faces were transforming because yeah. there was like no blinking happening during that whole scene. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it was, it, it's done on purpose, obviously, yeah, but very unsettling. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And then, okay, am I actually high is my next note. <laughs> You're high on life. Apparently. Right. And then, and then cultist, cultist Dick is the next note. Because <laughs> I think at that point he does his like, uh, what's the dude from Silence of the Lambs? Except well, I guess he doesn't, Bill. yeah, Buffalo Bill thing, but he doesn't hide. He doesn't do the, uh, mm-hmm. you know, tuck or whatever, whatever it's called. Um, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that scene did not go the way I anticipated. Like, what's interesting is the stuff that I expect from a movie like this, they either just implied off screen or just completely flipped on its head, like this scene where he does this and her response is to laugh at him and it just blows everything out of proportion. And like, he doesn't go th- like through with his original plan and decides to kill her and just everything goes off the rails because she's just laughing in his face i've never seen a movie do that before i love that though i love i loved that um but i think a lot of it too like mandy is obviously very heavily implied to have seen some shit yeah in her life they don't explain it but the, the very large scar down her face the discussion of her father murdering baby birds in front of her and her that was friends. just sad like like she's she i think had a very abusive and painful and scary upbringing mm-hmm. i mean a guy that's like anyway i'm gonna sex you up baby you know she's just starts she's like this is, you wrote a song about yourself like what, what the hell is that all about you know it, maybe that would work on someone like lucy who probably hasn't you know probably very naive and easy to Mm-hmm. kind of prey on but it's not gonna work on someone like mandy mm-hmm, mm-hmm. mandy's mandy's lived a, probably several lifetimes already yep see see she has seen stuff right and that's why but that's why i love that it's so unexpected there mm-hmm. because it, it says there's so much character background and character building and she doesn't even say anything she just laughs it's true um, this dude is a close talker because <laughs> I, 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 when we watched the Punisher Netflix show, I noted this about a character too. I don't know if you remember that, Derek, but because I'm an introvert, like close talkers are my nightmare. So if you're if you're gonna make a horror movie, having a close talker in there is like that, that's like probably one of the more frightening things you could put in there well, for me. So like him being yelling. right, yeah, like right there. 
even if he's not yelling, he could be whispering, and it right. would be terrifying to me. Like it's almost you know. worse if he's whispering. Yeah. Well, either oh, yeah. way, it's not great. <laughs> yeah. Like I think I think whispering is infinitely scarier than yeah. like because it whenever, shows control. Yep. Whenever yeah. I get auditions for like when you're supposed to be scary, I usually do at least one take where I just do it like this, and it's quiet, mm-hmm. and it's because I'm like I don't know that yelling would be fun here and i'm gonna do a take like that but that doesn't scare me no there's a there's a tension yeah when you're you know even toned and level and almost you know just chilled out about the whole thing mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. it's very it's, it's like you said control mm-hmm. almost blase in some ways we did talk about this a little bit but why does their house have so many windows that was my next note. I don't know. I guess that's really when it sunk in how many windows. And I think this was like when she was about to get burned up. Yeah. Um, my, my assumption is they probably knew somebody who owned that house and they could shoot there. That's my guess. Yeah, probably. I mean, and it fits because the guy loves lighting. Having a lot of windows mm. sends, you know, that lends itself well to that. Yep. Um, is this what an existential crisis feels like? I don't remember what was happening in that particular moment. Maybe that was when she was burning. Uh, but yeah, I some, somewhere in there, I was like, I have no idea what to expect from this movie at this point, because it's not what I expected it to be at all. I mean, I think it's worth noting at this point, since we are, t- you know, there are some plot related things we're talking about and not just notes I made on the movie, uh, that one of the things that I wish had happened in this movie, instead of being such like a point A to point B movie, uh, was that, because they didn't show Mandy at all in the bag when they burned her, I thought there was going to be a twist that it was one of the other cultists maybe in the bag mm. and that Mandy had been converted to the cult. And now Nick Cage, his character red has to face that uh, in the end. Oh, that um, would have been, that would have been a really good twist. Yeah. And, I, and, and maybe they didn't want it to be, I don't think that adds that much of a layer of complication, but uh, maybe they just wanted it to be extremely simple. Uh, but I thought that would that, throughout the whole movie I thought that's what it was going to be you know the reveal yeah because they show like the burned up corpse right but you really only see the skull for like two seconds and then it blows away mm-hmm. right so uh, that is interesting that is and so and this scene ends in a way really like if I only I only really have one narrative problem with the movie and that's here which is they just leave him there. And this is a trope in films like forever, where if the bad guys just killed the good guy, they yeah. win. Right. But because they leave him hanging there, they all die. And that's just. But this movie is is like an homage to that. I guess. But it does so many other things differently, you know, that I this one piece stands out to me as just kind of. It's like the one mainstream thing in the movie. If that yeah, makes I mean, sense. That's fair. You know, I, I would have rather him had like gotten loose or something and hid in the woods and they couldn't find him or whatever, you know, like that at least would have been like, Oh, it's not their fault. They were going to kill him. But in this case, they're just like, all right, peace out, dude. And then he comes and tears them all down because they don't know who they're messing with. Right. It's very yeah. kind of classic blockbuster narrative there. I guess at least there you can just write it off as and everyone was on drugs. Yeah. 
True. Perish your judgment, kids. But it's That's not true. like they forgot about him because, like, <laughs> the, the, the cult leader Jeremiah just stares at him for like two seconds before they leave. So. Yeah, it's like the joke in The Incredibles about monologuing, right? Like, that's yeah. really what Jeremiah is doing there. He's, he's silently monologuing to Red and then, you know, heads off into the sunset is the idea. And that's just, you know, that's a very blockbuster narrative approach. You know, that's yeah, taken, I, right? And you, know, you don't feel, know you're messing with. <laughs> I feel like some of that is just like, like Ryan said, using using genre convention where it's convenient and then subverting it when it's not. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I mean, that was a much more fancy way of saying that, but I, I appreciate <laughs> you saying like Ryan said to make me sound smarter. Uh, I'll tell you something that wasn't tropey to the genre that happens next in my notes. He was in his tidy whities through all of that. Yeah. Mm -hmm. uh, but that is tropey to Nick Cage movies because I think in pretty much every Nick Cage movie we've watched so far on this podcast, he's been in his tidy whities at least once. Well, he's been in his underwear because in the Family Man, he's got that the sexy black underwear. That's true. That's true. You know, so the boxer but, briefs. Yeah, he has been in his underwear. I think in every movie we've watched. Yeah. In, in fairness, sometimes you just gotta feel the breeze wafting through your hey, leg hairs. I'm not complaining. Like the dude <laughs> looks good in his underwear, so you know. Go for it. it it's not my cup of tea, but fine, sure. <laughs> it was also it also makes for a very easy cosplay for people that want to, you know, put something together for Halloween or a convention at the last minute. You just slap on a tiger t-shirt, put on your your tidy whiteies, and you're good to go. You know what's funny is at the end of this movie, I was like, Derek should do that costume. Thanks, thanks. Not not the tidy whiteies. <laughs> the like when he's all like got the full gear and everything, mm. and he's at the very end of the movie in that scene that you're like uh, you have your, your background there. I thought that would be really fun to just spray you with red blood and you know fucking all, everything. Have you know the vest and the axe? Are you gonna make me the axe? I mean, if you pay me, I'll make you anything. <laughs> nice. Uh, what's my name? Oh. WTF Goblin Mac and Cheese commercial. Yes! Oh, Cheddar! Cheddar Goblin! <laughs> yeah, I mean, so to be completely honest, I talked about about like the self-indulgent things this movie does. I was 100% okay with this one. Like, I had no idea why the fuck it's in this movie, but I'm there for it. You like, like puppets. A, well, it's such, a, it's such a whiplash because he just had probably the worst night of his life. Watched his wife burn in front of him, and then literally got by a cult. And then as soon as he gets inside, it's like, "What Cheddar Goblin? Watch a barf up mac and cheese, kids!" So All over kids, yeah. Like... And then, and then right there, like one of the one of the greatest line deliveries in this entire movie, if not all time, was when he just mutters to himself, "Cheddar Goblin," before Cheddar having goblin. a breakdown in the bathroom. Like, oh, that was it was hilarious, but also so painful because like. I've dealt with trauma so bad where you're just staring at the the weirdest shit. Like, like to me, this does actually, it, it, it does portray what it feels like to be in shock mm -hmm. and traumatized very well. Because sometimes trauma makes you just go, just fixate on weird shit, like Cheddar Goblin. And, and when, what it feels like to have something just horrible happened to you and the what you know you immediately see something that's silly or weird or hilarious and you're just like what the fuck and that's when your brain breaks 
it was weird in the early parts of the commercial there was a uh, there was a moment where i was like was this real in the 80s there was a brief moment where i thought maybe that was a real product that just ended before my time but it could have been like that's something right. that would have been yeah. totally maybe not normal but it would have fit <laughs> in and people wouldn't have really thought twice about it uh then we get like the animated zombie dream which i i mean i don't know i have mixed feelings about that the animation was really cool on all these dreams all of his dreams were animated and not like live action. Um, but I, I really liked the animation style and everything that went with it. It kind of took me out of the movie, not in the sense that I they might, I don't know. It didn't feel like it was a cohesive part of the movie to me. And I, you know, when you watch like um, the Black Freighter version of The Watchmen, right? And you can mm-hmm. say whatever you want. A lot of people have mixed feelings on that movie. But with that, it worked for me better than it does in like something like this and granted this is much lesser degree than that but yeah um the the animated stuff was really cool i feel like that could have been a really cool story like separate from the movie but for me it just kind of took me out away from whatever was happening in the movie it definitely and this is something that i was talking to to derek about that to me made it feel very much like a heavy metal movie mm-hmm. yeah that's but in fair. live action like which it, this this is like also wall to wall heavy metal comics. For this sure. this could have been taken directly out of. And I I haven't read a lot of the comics because it's serialized and it's it's not easy to track down everything. You need to read the full story. But the the little bits and pieces that I have read here and there, this would have fit right in. Yeah, with a lot of the stories in there. Um, I could even see double headering like if you if we're going to do a double header movie have this open for the first heavy metal movie <laughs> see when you mentioned that to me i was like all right like whatever you say because i hadn't seen this yet right mm-hmm. and, and so when that when the first animation animated scene happens and i'm watching it, i'm like oh yeah. okay because i've only seen the first two heavy metal movies that's all i that's my heavy metal experience oh, there's only two movies there's only two movies but it's the comics that are like heavily serialized gotcha okay yes yeah. so i've seen the animated stuff and i definitely now i i get the connection and everything but i didn't expect that right yeah. so i'm watching the movie i'm like i don't know what she's talking about <laughs> but again it's very but again that's the self-indulgent coming in like, I, I can understand the because having a medium shift like that explicitly shows where the dreams are at like begin and end mm-hmm. versus the surreality of everything else you can't quite like it, it, everything the in the dream movie look different yeah how do you make the dream look different so because everything yeah. is is still like a giant question mark but the one thing that's not are the dreams right but i mean the dreams didn't really add anything to the movies for me like it was more of the self-indulgent thing like they could have cut the cut the dreams out and they like they don't need that separation of like why you may how do you make the dreams look different you don't need that because they didn't add anything to the movie in the sense of the story that the movie was trying to tell for me now one thing i read I did. So I'm colorblind. um, And so I didn't notice this, but apparently at some point in like the last animated shot, the color of her eyes change to green. Right. And that's supposed to symbolize that he has, you know, um, he has basically what's what's the word I'm looking for, but more or less as, as, you know, saved her from this damnation that she is supposedly, you know, in. Um, I missed that being colorblind. So maybe that was supposed to be the whole purpose is that she still exists in this kind of underworld type thing. And while, yes, we're seeing it as his dream, this is just her reality now. And we're supposed well, to be following her character through that. 
one of the interpretations of the ending in the car is that they are both dead and in the under you know in the underworld together that or so when did he die i they don't I mean that's the ambiguous that's the ambiguous part perhaps afterward when he was finished with the roaring rampage of revenge maybe he I died mean, he did get stabbed fire. and everything else yeah. so you know. yeah yeah that's maybe fair. he died in the fire yeah um there's a lot of places where he could have uh how i mean he does crush a man's head with his hands after maybe is that it was drugs? is it drugs is it surreality is it that he dies and that's his you know that's like a fever dream that he's fantasizing while he dies like that's where the ambiguity comes in. Maybe, yeah. maybe he died a while back. Maybe the tiger ate him. <laughs> you know, maybe. maybe he was dead the whole time, like Sixth Sense. There you yeah. go. There you go. He never actually got off the helicopter. The whole maybe, thing was a dream. Maybe, yeah. maybe he was the one that died in the bag. And rather than going off on a roaring rampage of revenge, this is Mandy dreaming it as a coping mechanism. Maybe. It's ambiguous. You never know. That's what I'm saying. All of these work because they Wild. they don't they don't hold your hand. So true. You gotta you gotta uh, come up with these ideas on your own. So. After the zombie dream, we get the bathroom scene, which we already talked about some, but uh, I I haven't I don't have a note about this, which I and I normally do in these all these movies so far. I think, but Nick Cage really was good in this. Really good. Yes. Um, it's so sad. The, the scene watching his like wife get burned up or girlfriend I, I don't know if they ever actually say wife but his significant other get you know burned up that watching him cry in that scene was really powerful um the bathroom scene it was almost funny because like the way it was shot uh i feel like they were just told him what they needed to accomplish in this scene and let him kind of do his thing because there's at one point the camera's like panning in on him for like it's a really wide shot and it's like panning in but there's a shot where or a moment where like the camera like backs up just a little bit <laughs> And then continues going. So I feel like they had no idea what he was going to do, and the cameraman was just trying to survive. <laughs> but you know what? That makes for so a, much more sense. Yeah, but for a scene like this, man, just tell Nick Cage to go nuts. I mean, could, like, yeah, could you have asked for something better for Nick Cage? No, to do? that's like the, that's like, where he lives. And I mean, again, that's that's the fact that he's in his underwear the whole time, and that's not fun. It's not funny. No, it was it's not it was funny, funny at all. It's it was vulnerable. funny. The, oh, sorry. Go ahead. It was funny in the earlier it was just i guess it was funny for me because i didn't realize that this whole time he was in his underwear so when he wanders into the house yeah i'm like holy shit he was in his tidy whiteies the whole time but yes in this scene certainly not funny and yeah, yeah not a like, joke like it's it, 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 and that's the, that's a testament to how arresting this scene is is that yes there is a bit of visual humor when he's in his underwear but not that scene it's mm -hmm. it's just sad and it's vulnerable and it's painful and it's wrenching and oh it it's my it's probably I know that I talk a lot about the chainsaw fight because hell yeah chainsaw fight but like this is my other favorite scene in the movie yeah I think this is a lot of people's favorite scene in the movie because I've seen a lot of people talking about this scene specifically before the, I had seen it yeah it's the most human I think yeah. it's the most probably the most cagey scene if we're going off for a cagey scale or whatever in the movie it's like there's a lot of caginess in this movie but i think that was the one where they were just like do your thing man we're not gonna impede you do yeah it. get creative 
And I'm That's... so glad you brought it up though, because the camera thing I noticed and in my head, it was, it was very disorienting the way that it would move in and out and tilt. It, it was very strange, but the rest of the movie's not shot like that. It was just that one scene and your explanation makes it make sense. Yeah. Oh, God, I could, uh, it's just so sad. It is very sad. Now it Nick is. Cage so nails sad. it in this movie. Like it, this is a weird ass movie, but he is very good. Right. And see that, that, that scene could, there were so many ways that that scene could have gone wrong. Mm -hmm. I um, think you'll, you'll say similar things about pig Derek. When we, when we watch that, is that there, oh, it's a weird, pig. weird movie, not in a different sense than this one, but he's also very good in that. I think yeah. that one was probably a little bit more of a critical darling than this movie is, but yeah, I um, love pig. And like, it's not a spoiler to say that, that he, he can say, I don't fuck my pig and it's not funny yeah <laughs> he, he can say the that absolutely ridiculous line and deliver it in a way where you're not laughing right yeah he's he and i think like because this movie and pig which we haven't talked about on the podcast yet so i'm not going to get into but they're both he he's really and the end with unbearable weight of massive talent he's really had a good like um i don't want to say renaissance because he had like several mm -hmm. kind of comebacks but uh this the past few years with him have been very good the yeah fans have been eating well he's he's picked some really good material for sure recently and um like pig was one of my favorite movies last year yeah yeah it was um, good and it was great and mandy is obviously one of my all-time favorites um pig i think did not win best movie of the year uh because it was the same year that psycho Goreman came out and i mean another favorite doesn't have Nicolas Cage, so not relevant to the conversation. <laughs> so it doesn't count. <laughs> doesn't count. My next but... note is, of course, he is a blacksmith because we get he goes and talks to the Predator guy. <laughs> His name is Bill Duke, <laughs> yeah. the guy from Predator. And this is when I kind of noticed that. Well, I, I probably should have noticed it earlier. Maybe I'm just not that observant, but that they picked very. I don't want to say this in a way that seems like insulting to people, but they picked people that have very specific looks. Like you're you're not getting necessarily the most traditionally good looking people in these roles. You're getting people that uh, maybe their appearance is a little unsettling if you frame them a certain way. Um, you know, there a lot of like very long faces on people that they accentuate with the way the movie is shot. Um, and uh, Bill Duke was the uh, was not an exception to this. He was chosen for a very specific look as well. And not to say he's not a good actor because he is a tremendous actor. Um, but well, it's also the like the it speaks to location and circumstances too. These are people living a hard scrabble existence in the wilderness. For sure. mm -hmm. um, but also something that I really liked about that character uh, Carruthers, um, he's one of the, he's the only one that doesn't get any kind of surrealist lighting, which yeah. probably shows that he's the most like well-adjusted and normal person in the entire story that's interesting see i took it more as like this is the point when the movie goes from being one thing to being another thing because this movie is kind of like watching two different movies uh yeah in succession true. uh so but i mean neither is wrong it could go either way right right um but yeah for me this is like it was meant to be a transition point so at least in my mind so they you know got rid of all the surreal stuff and it was just like a very uh down to earth you know discussion between two people mm -hmm. uh, maybe not down to earth it's probably grounded maybe it should better yeah. term you know no there was not like you know 
things that are open to interpretation or anything in the scene. It's very cut and dry as to exactly what this scene is. Um, and so for me, it was it was like a marked transition. This was the movie that I thought I was signing up for post this point. Um, the movie pre this point, I had no idea what it, what I was signing up for, but the, what I, what it was was not this, and that's not a negative. Right. Um, it was it was a domestic drama that built up into a fever dream revenge fantasy. Right, exactly. And you know, I I've seen a lot of people, and I think even uh, it's been referred to even in this podcast as gore porn, but I didn't really get that vibe from it. I mean, if you watch like a Saw movie, that's gore porn. Yeah. That's but fair. this this movie was not really good. like I didn't even think the gore was that crazy in this movie compared to a lot of movies that come out. So I mean, there's a lot of blood, but I felt like that was more of like an Evil Dead homage or like a slasher yeah. movie homage than anything else. I had to get that out there. I guess I could have said that earlier. Well, but I uh, feel like I feel like gore porn. You're kind of meant to, I guess, fetishize and relish in the the violence and right. this. Yeah, of course it does, but the it's a re- it's revenge and with all the build up up to that point it's a, the stakes are different mm-hmm. agreed you can understand why it gets to that point i don't know it, maybe i'm maybe i'm just justifying it i i and I, the thing is i'll still enjoy a good gore porn movie if it's done well i think um, for me the reason i classified it that way is probably not particularly fair it's not my take it's imdb's take because they have a they have a parent a parents guide section where they they rank different things right and violence and gore was put to severe and i guess well, in my yeah. head which yeah. is funny because like at the same time like profanity is moderate it's like they don't curse a lot <laughs> but they'll hack each other up uh i thought that was just kind of an interesting way to look at it well in fairness this is the united states there's people that are like oh i don't mind if my child watches a disembowelment but I just draw the line when they say too many swears like that. I, that's uh, that's such an American perspective. So like, I guess it was it. a very specific accent for that. <laughs> it was. <laughs> uh, my next note is that axe is amazing because Meredith, you may not know this about me and our listeners may not, although I brought it up a few times that I'm a prop maker, like as a hobbyist. Oh, that's awesome. And so like, I really appreciate and a prop collector. I have a lot of movie props that's in my so collection. Cool. So, but I really appreciate when like a prop is really well made and like unique. And this axe yeah. was like super cool. <laughs> so like, regardless of whether I liked this movie or not, I would have looked at that axe and gone, I want one of those in my living room. I was reading that apparently it's meant to look like Celtic Frost's logo. Yeah, I read that too. I didn't get that. I didn't get that from it either, but it's cool. It's very yeah, cool. and I don't I don't listen to a lot of metal. I, I don't dislike metal. I just don't always know where to start with it. But I was like, that's a really awesome detail. My it my is. question for, for this is did the mold already exist or did he have to make the mold first? That's a little ambiguous. Yeah, like again, as somebody who like makes props and like does this kind of stuff, he would have spent the amount of time he would have had to spend if he didn't have even if he did have that mold, there would have had to have been a tremendous amount of time spent to make it look the way it did because metal, when you pour it into a mold, does not look like that. I mean, right. the amount of time, and it, this was like mirror sheen, right? Like you can shine up a piece of metal relatively easily if you have the right tools, but this was like mirror sheen on both sides. So for to be able to get that level, he would have had to have been working on that thing for a while. My my heart is telling me that he did not have the mold already and that it's implied that he made this mold also 
but it's not really it's I, there's no real reason that they would have needed to include that no, detail in the movie not. but yeah. i you know i for somebody like me i want to know um but yeah it, that was a cool scene it, it didn't really make a lot of sense to me that he was also a blacksmith hobbyist like that's not really something I put with Lumberjack. He also didn't have like any, they didn't establish earlier that he had any kind of a forge or like metalworking experience. Um, so that was just kind of out of the blue and that's fine. I didn't bother me that much, but it was a very cool scene. I always love seeing somebody like make their own weapon. He's a, I mean, he's a, um, you know, this is a one man D and D campaign and exactly. he's, he's the barbarian who put a couple of points in metallurgy. There you go. I mean, I, I took it as like, you know, this is a movie set in the 80s. So I like a kind of MacGyver meets Rambo meets, you know, there's several different things in the 80s where the character hasn't been shown to have any kind of skill building something. Maybe MacGyver wasn't a great example, but like Rambo builds like explosive arrows and stuff yeah. like that. And there's not really any kind of established anything in that movie, at least from my memory, that says that he would know how to do this other than generic special special forces training. Yeah, I was um, going to say it still could have been the it, like the implication that he probably served in Vietnam. There you go, yeah. But I don't know that they were making a lot of yeah. uh, metal axes yeah. and molds in Vietnam. Probably not. I wasn't but, there. But, but if you were, if you were Nicolas Cage, you probably would. Sure, it's an act like this part of the movie. Yeah. At this point, it becomes kind of not a generic '80s action movie, but definitely takes some uh, some inspiration from that, which is more my wheelhouse. That's why I enjoyed this part of the movie significantly more than the earlier part. But that was definitely the start for me, where I was like, okay, I want to see this axe in action. And you get to spoiler alert. You do, <laughs> but it was a bit like you're immediately kind of knocked off kilter though because he's immediately captured. Yeah, <laughs> that's true. Which I was like, ah, oh. I, 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 I think I was bummed. I think the scene where he's captured and he has to like escape, escape the capture, and he has the nail through his hand. That mm. that was like getting a little gore porny. Um, you know that anytime you have like an up close shot of some like body part that's been damaged in some way and they have to damage that body part further to escape mm -hmm. that starts to become kind of gore porny but it was fine it, again it didn't bother me it was but that if somebody was going to classify this as gore porn that would be like one of the scenes also, that they bring up as evidence i also really like that he gets really angry about his shirt being torn <laughs> Like, yeah, like that's the, like that's the that's the really big. You ripped my shirt, not like <laughs> you killed my wife, or like um, you uh -huh. you stabbed me through the mouth and hands with barbed wires. I mean, we've I, all had clothing that we I, like, right? Yeah, exactly. I'd be mad if something got torn too if I yeah. really liked it, or I, I think his uh, significant other was wearing that at one point in the movie. She yeah, was. she was. So yeah. you know, it had some other context to it there at least yeah mm -hmm. um my next one says blood in the mouth which is super gross but i love it and uh that's like i got a lot of evil dead like uh bruce campbell vibes yes. from that oh, scene. Yeah. and there's a lot of that kind of throughout this movie nick cage uh and bruce campbell have some similar stuff going on yeah i think like they I... have similar strengths in their acting yeah mm -hmm. and i i would watch this movie with bruce campbell in the nicholas cage role for sure i yeah I, I don't I think that we would get a very different bathroom scene, but I don't think it would be bad because Bruce Campbell always shows up understanding the assignment. That's true. So. Yeah, and you know, we, me and Derek, we love Bruce Campbell. Oh uh, yeah, as, always. I'm uh, a big I, fan too. I got to meet him a few years ago, and it was he was delightful in person as well. And uh, oh, that's awesome. 
yeah, he's he's a wonderful guy. But to your point, I was thinking in this movie that they had to have had Nick Cage in mind when they did this. Because, I mean, I was struggling to think, even Bruce Campbell, God love him, I love him, whoever loves him, you know, everybody loves him. I don't think he would have been as successful in this role as Nick Cage was. And I can't I, think of any other actor that would have been I even close. I don't think as many people would have watched it if Bruce Campbell was in it, because I love Bruce Campbell too, but Bruce Campbell relishes the fact that he's more of a cult figure yeah. than an A-list actor like Nicolas Cage. I mean, he wrote multiple books on the subject. Yeah, that's true. Um, that's where he. That's where Bruce Campbell lives because that's where Bruce Campbell loves to live. Yeah. Uh, whereas Nick Cage likes to. He's like, this is a thing I like, and I'm going to do it. <laughs> well, and he'll play it straight. Like, yeah. I think the difference is that Nick Cage plays it straight, and it comes across a lot of the time as cheesy or you know over the top. Whereas Bruce Campbell specifically tries to play it over the top, mm-hmm. and so it definitely comes across a different way but yeah, yeah I still I, think I, he would have worked I still think he would have worked really well it would have been very different but I yeah. still think he could have made it work I don't I think, think it would have been what they were going for with the movie Not I think at this it, point yeah. I think Bruce would have had to have been younger because like as Cage has gotten older his ability to do something like this hasn't really changed right he still comes off as a very powerful aggressive type person Bruce, he's gotten, he's aged differently. And I just don't see him being able to take on the mantle of a role like this today. Yeah, maybe maybe 15 years ago. Yeah, it's, it'd be a tougher sell today for sure. Yeah. Um, my next notice, did he just do cat cocaine followed by, did he just do crazy LSD? Yes. Yes. So yes. the answer is yes to so both of those <laughs> things. Um, and then Golden Gun. Yeah, I noticed that was interesting. I'm not sure like what I, I feel like that had to be done for a purposeful reason. And maybe I'm just not as well versed in the movies that inspired this as I should be. But that seemed a little extravagant for the what this movie was going for. So, uh, Meredith, you have obviously I, way more experience with that kind of stuff than I do. So maybe you know where that comes from. I, d- I don't actually. Okay. I'm sorry. Maybe, maybe it doesn't come from anything. I Usually anything that I didn't pick up on or or no, I was just like Nicolas Cage. That was his idea. Yeah, maybe. I, just, I mean, I he just... does use golden guns in other movies, but. Yeah. yeah. I mean, that's the thing, right? Like he's done it a couple of times. There's the obvious James Bond reference, but that has nothing to do with the rest of the movie. Yeah. Except yeah. that, I mean, I guess maybe an argument could be made that the chemist's character is kind of a departure from the rest of the movie as well. And he's, I don't know. I don't know. That's a bit of a stretch. Yeah. yeah I don't have a good I, answer for it. I don't. And I mean, it's, probably... it's okay. That there's no answer. It would not surprise me if it's a reference to like a super popular movie that I haven't seen. Um, I feel like one of us would have seen it if it was that popular, though. Right? Yeah. Like even Face Off didn't. I'm pretty sure they were they were using gold. At least Castro Troy was using gold guns in that movie. But, but this was there, a different kind of gun. Weren't there golden gun references in? Uh, um, yeah, the, in unbearable um, weight. But that was yeah. that was a reference to Face Off. Those are his Face Off gotcha. guns. This was yeah. a different gun. Maybe it was supposed. To be like an homage to that? Could be. I mean, it could mean nothing. And... But he never actually gets the gun. It'd be different if he ended up with the gun, right? Because then it's like a this little character connection. Because he has that. He's got like tracks that are in multiple of his movies and things like that. Right. But he never gets the gun. So it's I, fine. We don't need to dwell yeah. on the gun anymore. I thought maybe there was something I had missed uh, in, in another grindhouse or like I mean, 
something else from this director? It probably, I mean, it, like I said, I, I have weird blind spots of popular movies that I haven't seen. Um, and it's not because I eschew popular movies because obviously like I watch Marvel stuff. A lot of it has to do with accessibility. So like if there's a an indie movie that I have no idea if it's when it's going to be taken off streaming next. And if I'm ever going to get an opportunity to see it again, I'm going to be like, okay, it's easier for me to find these bigger blockbustery mainstream movies than it is for me to sometimes to find the smaller movies. So I'm going to watch the smaller movie because I may never get an opportunity again. That's fair. Um, and that's how I've ended up missing a lot of big movies. It's not a, it's not like a snob thing. It's not a, um, you know, it's not an affectation. Watch. Right. It's not an yeah. affectation. It's literally just like, yeah. when will the opportunity arise again? And it's much easier for me to find Marvel movies and things than it is for me to find um, smaller movies. Um, like we talked about how Mandy's not always the easiest to find. Yep. Um, Absolutely. A lot of Nick Cage movies why. that we reviewed, unfortunately, have been kind of tricky to, they aren't on any of the mainstreaming uh networks so oh, we're used sucks. to it yeah to be in freebie next i had is he gonna fight a tiger uh because i thought that we were gonna get a fucking cool <laughs> him destroying it not that i want to see tigers get killed but in a fictional movie that's an action slasher it wouldn't be that crazy to see him fight a tiger but we didn't get to see that so i was sad about that um Seems like the tiger sympathized with Red too, as much as yeah, the, uh, as much was, as the chemist. He's like, you know what? This guy's been through enough shit. He doesn't need me to to add yeah. to it. You have you have fun and good luck, friend. Or maybe it was I don't want to die because that axe looks scary. Yeah. Supp- supposedly it was supposed to be a lizard in the script, and then when they showed up on set, they were like, yeah, we have a tiger now. Bad <laughs> 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 tracks. So they shot it with the tiger. It probably a similar budget for a lizard and a tiger. I guess it depends on the lizard. Well, well yeah, I imagine that a Komodo dragon would probably be. Uh, yeah. I mean, it's not tiger sized, but I imagine it. They're probably not cheap to haul around or easy to train. No, I would imagine not. Uh, where the fuck is he? Was my next note, which was because it's. I mean, maybe it's not ambiguous. I thought it was ambiguous, but I could have missed something in the sense of where this in the world this takes place and like what looks because like the what place they go specifically looked like basically hell um, mixed with a rock quarry. Yes. Yeah, they're they're in California. What? Uh, Yeah, they're in the Shadow Mountains in California. Um, That's what it says in the beginning. Shadow Mountains. It's it's kind Uh, of like a wooded area near a desert, which is, you know, a lot of the the culty stuff that takes place in the desert. So you kind of got this folk horror, desert horror. Uh, yeah, it just seemed to switch there. environments a lot. So like, and, and that makes sense if that area has a lot of different biomes, I guess. But yeah, and but I mean, if you're not not familiar with that area, then it just right. seems really weird. And I mean, it was cool. It was a really cool place for the ending, you know, to happen. But it was a little odd because it just looks so different than everything else in the movie. Well, especially right. at the end when he's leaving and they have, you know, they, they show the, the sky and everything because the rocks are so jagged and like shooting out into the sky that like it does give off the sense of it being unearthly. Mm-hmm. Which yeah. is probably what they were going for, I'm sure. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And I mean, also, it's, it's just to kind of drive home the Charles Manson stuff, bringing, setting it in California. Yeah. Right. Yeah. That makes sense. Mm-hmm. I didn't even think about it. 
why was he washing a car in a rock quarry? The guy was just like anything else. I don't know. The guy was just like washing. It was just a really odd (laughs) choice of things for the cultists to be doing. I figured they're bored, right? I think that goes back to the window thing, right? Like they don't really get the gravity of the situation. They have no idea what's really going on. This dude's got a nice car and nothing else to do. And he probably doesn't see, he probably doesn't see red as that much of a threat. Like, well, he doesn't this, know Red's alive. Oh, that's true. Right. But even even then, they didn't see him as much of a threat because they just left him there. Right. Yeah. <laughs> so, like, I just think they don't have a care in the world, you know. And okay. that's probably like his only only real possession is his car. That's fair. It just was a little weird, you know. As somebody is a car guy, also, just like that's not the ideal place to wash a car. Yeah. In general, the way they were shooting it though, because they were shooting across the hood of the car, right? And mm-hmm. I really expected the axe to come slamming into the hood of the car. That's what that I expected cool. the shot to end with, but that obviously didn't happen. That actually would have been really cool. But we did get an awesome Thank axe you. throw after that. That's true. So, you know, forgivable. <laughs> and then we get, we had the chainsaw battle, which Meredith. Chainsaw <laughs> fight! Angel chorus on the chainsaw fight. So good. I love that scene. When the dude pulls out the bigger chainsaw. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That made me laugh. That was the most like legitimate chuckle that the movie got and out I, of me the whole time. Also, I also love it because it's awkward. <laughs> because because it, 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 it's a cool looking weapon. But it's an awful weapon. Right? It's awful for fighting. So I kind of love that it was, it's an awesome scene, but it does show how horrible and impractical a chainsaw weapon is unless you are Bruce Campbell when Ash you have Williams. a chainsaw for a hand. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I was hoping that that was what was going to happen. He's going to get his hand chopped oh. off and then put the extra long chainsaw on his the hand. Extra long one. In fairness, in fairness, nobody can do that like Bruce Campbell. We talk about how Nicolas Cage nailed that crying in the, uh, you know, crying in the bathroom scene, but. Leave the chainsaw work to the professionals. No one, no one does chainsaw hand like Bruce Campbell. That's true. I do like the idea that this movie's core message is that chainsaws are just not good weapons. No. That's the real takeaway. I was trying to find like a deeper meaning and. Like I, you know, in the way the the this was all done, like maybe that him having the smaller chainsaw and the other guy having the larger chainsaw was like a metaphor for male insecurity um, in the size of things. No, but and sometimes the chainsaw is just a chainsaw. And maybe it is. <laughs> and I was trying to. Read I don't know. It, it, you know, I was got some to, ink blots to show you later. There was some things <laughs> in this movie. That I was just like, am, am I too dumb for this movie? Like- <laughs> no, no, that's the thing. And that's something that's part of why I think I really like like grindhousey movies and neo grindhouse stuff is it's not you don't have to go digging. Well, you have to admit the, the, the first like two thirds of the movie that it there was a lot of like symbolism and like, you know, things that if you maybe weren't as savvy of a film viewer that you probably would miss out a lot. Like, like you mentioned the uh, alcoholism and, you know, there's, there's a lot of other things like that, where if you're maybe not as savvy, you're going to miss out. You're not going to really get what the full context of the movie is. At the same time though, at the same time, it, it, I did, I have seen this many, 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 many times. And it picked up on that. The first time I saw this, I was like, 
chainsaw fight. I am not even going to pretend that I picked up on that initially because I was so enamored of the chainsaw fighting. Maybe Ryan, you and I have spent too much time watching like superhero flicks. Maybe I don't that's... think there is such a thing. <laughs> that's too much, too much time. I mean, I don't, I think that's something about like kind of indie arts, art, art house films. Uh, that, that is another thing that's tough for me to swallow is I feel like they're made so that the person that's watching them feels smart of some of them. And I'm not meaning that to insult anybody that enjoys those, including you, Meredith. I, I'm just... I don't feel insulted because okay, I good. think you're, no, here's the thing. Yeah. I love these kinds of movies. But I'm not going to pretend that they're, they're lacking in pretense or that uh, people do watch it and use it as a replacement for a personality. Um, <laughs> That's absolutely true. You know, we're, oh, oh, well, you didn't understand this hidden Right. Movie. You know, I, but bullshit. Here, this, is, this is a rant that Jake and I go off on, and if you'll permit me, highbrow, middlebrow, and lowbrow is a bunch of bullshit. <laughs> It is absolute bullshit. It has its its roots in like super racist phrenology nonsense. But like a good movie is a good movie. It doesn't matter if it has enough layers of symbolism to hit the core of the earth or if it's as shallow as a puddle of water. Who gives a shit? Is it good? Does it bring you joy? Like, geez, some of my favorite movies are the Bill and Ted movies. I mean, they're, they're so fun because they're so full of joy and life but nobody's gonna write a, a doctoral dissertation on bill and ted and that's awesome i don't care so that's that's my that's the philosophy that i bring to film here is that yeah i will gladly take out a a you know a, a jackhammer and start digging into movies because i'm a nerd I like that kind of thing. That's but I don't awesome. expect other people to like that kind of thing or care about that kind of thing. It what is what brings me joy. But Probably if someone fair. doesn't if someone doesn't want to put in that work or isn't interested in doing the work, who gives a shit? You know? That's how yeah. I see it. So it's it's just yes. an easy way for me to not like a movie is if I feel like it was uh, if I feel like I don't get it because I'm too dumb, then that's an e that's an easy way. And I didn't fully get there with, quite there with this movie. Uh, so, you know, it's safe. I, I, yeah. Like I said, I enjoyed this movie. Right. Um, but you know what? You're also not dumb. Well, <laughs> you're also you don't know me well enough yeah. to make that judgment, but I appreciate the fact that you're that Look, you're saying that on record. Ryan, sometimes, you're not you're not dumb. Like I said, sometimes, but then why should I feel dumb when I'm watching a movie? You know what I mean? Yeah. I, I'm with you there. Look, I, I, this, I felt like a lot of this was way over my head as well. Sometimes yeah. you just want to watch a chainsaw fight. Right. And that's unfortunately true. that's like an hour and 15 minutes or something or an hour, 30 minutes into this movie. So, and it's very short really, you know, compared to other things in the movie. So if that's what you're watching the movie for, I mean, you could just probably skip to like an hour and a half in, you'll miss some cool stuff, but you know, yeah, just skip I mean, to the title card. Yeah, you can watch the scene where Nicolas Cage cries in a bathroom in his in his underwear, and mm -hmm. then you can watch the chainsaw fight. And if that's all you see, you've seen the highlights. Yeah, yeah, and maybe watch the scene with the cultist and the man Mandy's face, like because then you'll feel high, even if you're not. Uh, yeah, what it's is a he? Good, 
it's a good safe way to get your you know to start tripping balls if you have a drug test the next day what is he doing to that wall is my next note because the cultist jeremiah is like on the wall like slithering around and it was very weird i assumed it was drugs yeah Yeah. and that's probably the answer for most things in this movie um (laughs) and then offered a bj as a like a last resort to survive i thought that was an interesting choice but i mean i guess it shows how desperate the guy was or is meant to and i mean he's a coward he doesn't even put up a fight yeah that's true and that's i i really thought that was an interesting stylistic choice that i liked was that the final fight was just the main bad guy folding Mm-hmm. Yeah, completely. I love that because it shows that so many, so many bad guys in they've got their mooks and their their hench people, and then they're the the big final fight, the strongest enemy that you will be fighting. And half the time, I'm like, well, then why didn't you just go first and wipe this guy out like the first time? Yeah. If you're the strongest, why aren't you the first one out? This logically makes a lot more sense why do you send your strongest people out first why do you have them do the dirty work because he's a coward and that makes so much more sense that is an interesting way of looking at it because i was a little surprised that he went after the biker gang first right because i felt like Mm -hmm. well you know the the cultists they're the ones who burned her alive like wouldn't that be the first people you'd go to but no he goes through the bikers first and then he's left with these mostly incompetent people Right, because you don't want the incompetent people to call in the cavalry. Yeah, because that makes a lot the, of sense. Yeah, because he wants the drop on the bikers. And mm-hmm. if he if he goes after the cultist first, the bikers are going to get the drop on him. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Like I said, he still he uses guerrilla tactics to get the advantage. He does. It's true. So he crushes Jeremiah's head, and I think you know that's that's that was pretty gross. Like his eyeball popped out. Yeah, it yeah. but also yeah. looked, it it looked like <laughs> that scene reminded me of Total Recall, but with blood. Yes, <laughs> like yes. and I like that because it looked like they used practical effects there, and it always a plus. So yeah, well, plus. oh, it yeah. looked great. The movie looked pretty good. Yeah, mm-hmm. there weren't any spots where I was like, "This CG doesn't look good." I but I think it was really. It's also really easy to hide that kind of CG when you have like this uh, film grain aesthetic over the whole thing and uh, you know, smoke and lighting everywhere. I don't know that they had money for CG. The whole budget was only 6 million. Sure. But I mean, it wasn't shot on film, so they clearly did some processing. Yeah. Yeah. It was probably just some very, very, very basic CG post-processing. Yeah. I'm sure. Uh, I, my second to the last note is, did he just come? I'm not sure if that was, (laughs) When he got the head crushed, or like when he when he oh. crushed the guy's head, there's like a, a scene where he looks like he's coming. Uh, or I, I don't really remember the context of that. Yeah. Yeah, that was weird. You know but, what? <laughs> ambiguous. Hey We're just going to say ambiguous Whatever works drugs. for you. <laughs> whatever floats your boat. Um, my last note is, is the background you have there, Derek, the smiling, covered in bloodshot. That is... I if I that. had to like take a... Sh- a, a photo from a Nick Cage movie and say this is what you can expect with it with this actor that would probably be in my top five so yeah this is at the end when he's in the he steals the car and he's driving off and he yes. sees Mandy in the seat next to him for those who can't see my background and he's just yeah he's just covered in blood they get the red lights going which was prominent throughout a good chunk of the film uh, he's wild like his teeth are showing like he's got this crazy crazed grin and his eyes are wide and um 
it's, it's it's intense. It's amazing though. Like I know that it's it's funny if you see it out of context, but there's so much catharsis and relief. Mm-hmm. And you don't is he hallucinating? He doesn't give a fuck. Is Mandy really there escorting him down to hell? Is is he just seeing her as a ghost? Is he an alien? He doesn't care. Nicholas Cage doesn't care. He he did what he set out to do, and he's relieved. And oh my god, I love I I love that that shot so much. Like it's this great. this kind of this kind of movie and that kind of character are why I went into acting in the first place. Well, that's there you go. Like that's... that probably sounds weird, but like I really kind of decided yeah i want to kind of do this professionally when i watched army of darkness in a theater class when my teacher didn't feel like teaching (laughs) and and i was like this i want to do this and like like looking at looking at that 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 scene there's no fucking words he acts completely with his face and it's gorgeous and there's that flashback to when he met mandy for the first time mm-hmm. that was cute. as well yeah oh my god like just just so that this this it's the release valve mm-hmm. and it, it's it's a it's a catharsis um it's it's not like something like midsummer where there is no or just any ari aster movie actually now that you think about it there is there is never the cathartic ending Everything mm-hmm. that Ari Aster makes ends on a tense and high and anxious note. Mm. And I like it. I love it. I love him for it. Um, I loved Hereditary. I love Midsummer. Like, these are not insults, but this is different. This movie, and again, hearkening back to genre convention, it needs to have that cathartic ending to work. This is okay. one of those endings, though, where I kind of just want to see, like, what did he do the next day? What was that like? You know, because at some point he's going home, I guess, right? Mm-hmm. And he's got to take a shower, I would imagine, at this point. And then what do you do? Because, like, the whole thing happened at his house. So I guess he's going to move, but he's still a logger. I don't know. I always wonder, like, maybe what the this, next day is. Maybe this is the prequel to Drive Angry. I never saw Drive Angry, <laughs> but he is driving. And I can imagine he's probably going to be angry once the adrenaline wears off. Fair. And the drugs. Yeah. <laughs> There we go. It's just a, it's a prequel to Drive Angry. There we. I don't know if you've watched that one yet. I haven't seen it. No, it, it has not popped up yet. Not yet. Uh, but that's it. That's that's it. The credits are basically silent. There's no music, and then we get a post-credit shot that's uh, some hand sketches of things from the film, and then the movie's over. Mm-hmm. That's it. That's yeah. the that's the whole thing. Um. Now, this episode, we haven't had a guest on before, so we've kind of gone a little longer than we normally do. Yes, apologies. <laughs> no, okay. I, I love talking about movies. No, it's all good. It's all good. Um, but we should probably wrap things up at this point, unless, Ryan, you have any more notes that we didn't get to. That's it. That's, that's it? it. Okay. So that's the movie in a nutshell. Um, and we need to kind of rate the film. So, Ryan since you've done this before on our cage meter where would you rank the quality of this film? It's a tough one for me because I did enjoy it, but it's, 
I feel like this is one of those movies where uh, you either give it like a five star or you give it a one star. There's not a lot of in between, which it sounds weird, especially because I'm about to give it a three star or somewhere in there. But, uh, you know, from we have a 20 point scale. Yes, here, I'm aware. So, you know what I'm okay. saying, though, like somewhere in the middle. Uh, I think in general, this movie, you know, it's hard to say quality. This is a great quality movie because uh, you talk to somebody else and they're going to say this movie was crap. I don't understand the point of it, you know, whatever. Um, For me, I think I would put it like somewhere around a 15 or a 16. It was, I think that it was really well done for what it was trying to do. Um, Whether that worked for me or not in all the given circumstances. But uh, I think it was a highlight of the movies we've watched so far on this podcast. So I'd put it uh, pretty high up there. So that's really interesting. So I was going to give it a 16 okay, for basically the same reasons. This is a very difficult movie for me to watch. It is not a comfortable film, but all of that's on purpose. All of that's intentional, yeah. right? And so I think everything it sets out to do, it does extremely well. You just might not be happy with what it's trying to do, right? As a viewer, but that doesn't mean that it's a bad movie. It just means it's not for you. So for me, I can't watch this again just because I don't want to put myself through the headaches, literally. But that doesn't mean that it was bad. It executes across the board. So I'm going to give it a 16. Meredith, what would you give it? Five million. Well, you can give it up to 20. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, fine. Uh, Yeah, I'm going to give it a 20. But I, like I said at the very beginning... I am the target audience for this kind of movie. So I'm going to, there's a chainsaw fight. Like I'm such a, I'm such an easy sell on this kind of thing. So I'm going to say a 20, but I'm also going to agree with the both of you saying that not everything is for everybody. um, And that something can still be high quality and not for you. So Mm -hmm. just because I say it's a 20, I fully admit that's because I'm so biased in favor of so many things in this movie and and how they do those things. Well, Um, it is, I think on a technical and objectively storytelling level is very accomplished, but my 20 is for taste alone. (laughs) That's fair. All right. So now we've got our caginess and this one's a little bit harder for me. Um, so we're going to start. We're just going to go in the same order again. So Except Ryan, that you always start on the caginess one. You're just doing this because you don't want the pressure. But I don't then you want put the it pressure. On me instead. Well, so you can lead, you lead the next us? episode then. Uh, <laughs> all right, fine. So the caginess is a little bit tough here because you know the, the, sh- the final shot of him in the car is definitely very cagey. The bathroom scene is very cagey. And I'm looking back at some of my previous scores and I, I think I have to put it somewhere between leaving Las Vegas and the unbearable weight of massive talent. I don't think that it's more than unbearable weight. Uh, I do think it's maybe a little more cagey than leaving Las Vegas. I think he's a little more subdued in that. Um, so I'm going to also give it a 16. Okay. I was going to give it a 17 for caginess because I think that it's uh I think that, you know, there's more than just those two scenes and that he was very much in his wheelhouse in this movie. So maybe yes. the even the like more subtle scenes by comparison seemed not as cagey when in, if you just viewed those in outside of the context of the movie, they would seem more cagey. Um, 
So I think that, you know, because of the extremes you get to in this one, that it could seem less, I don't know, maybe I might be going off on a tangent there, but, or not explaining myself very well, but I, yeah, I'd be around a 17 for this one. I think that he went, he was really, really in his element in this one. And I love a lot of that. Fair. Very fair. Meredith. Yeah. I'm probably going to put it around a 17 as well, because um, in this, I think that people who, who don't watch it only think that meme cage shows up, but like dramatic actor, holy fuck, I'm crying along with you cage also shows up. Mm-hmm. Um, so it goes like with what Ryan said, you get, despite how straightforward this movie is and the genre type and the fact that it's kind of marketed as meme cage, um, it, it's, you still get very, very, like regular drama ass cage. And I like that. I I really like that. I like that this movie takes advantage of his ability to do dramatic heft instead of only turning this into a revenge fantasy. Uh, That's fair. I think that it's, it's well balanced Mm -hmm. like that. Um, And yeah, but it's very, it's, it's still because, because we get meme cage, it's still very cagey. Yeah. yeah. Um, but I would also put this, this is kind of like a surrealist and heightened version of Pig, which I know you haven't seen yet, Derek. I have um, not. But there is, uh, he's a lot more subdued in Pig, but I could I could very easily see his character from Pig in this movie and vice versa. Interesting. I'm looking forward to seeing Pig. So we'll, we'll we'll see if I remember that when we get to it. It is on the wheel. So I'm curious to see your take, Ryan. I'm curious to know if you agree with me with on that or not, considering you have seen Pig. Um, it, would you see the the characters in this and in both movies as very similar? Uh, yes, but I think it's is yes. I mean, yes is the ultimate answer, but I think that because of the way. They're very different films. So right. it's like two different characters, or it's like the same character taken by two different uh, directors and with two different stories, you know. Yeah. So yes, I can see a lot of carryover between the two characters. Yeah. Here's, a, here's a good way to put it between the two movies. It's like you gave two creative writing students a character and said, work with this. Yeah. And one gave you, one student gave you Pig and another student gave you Mandy. Interesting. Yeah, there's Very interesting. some similarities there. All right. Well, we have one more thing to do tonight. So Mandy is officially off our wheel o cage because obviously we talked about it. So now we have to find a movie that will replace it on the wheel. And that movie is going to be the Humanity Bureau. Oh, I've never heard of that one. <laughs> there's yeah. probably a good reason for that. <laughs> the Humanity Bureau. Yeah. That one is uh yeah, that's an interesting movie. Um, we will add that then to our wheel. That's a 2017 film of his, the Humanity Bureau. So that goes on the wheel of cage. Um, to find out what movie we talk about next, you'll have to watch our spin. Uh, go to comingofcage.com and you can see our spins for the wheel and find out what we're going to be talking about next. Um, because we don't normally have guests, we don't usually do this piece, Meredith, but if people wanted to find any of your works or your show or anything like that how could people find you yeah so the easiest way to find me and what i've been up to is my my twitter 
uh, at Meredith Nudo, M-E-R-E-D-I-T-H-N-U-D-O. Um, that's usually where I talk about the projects that I'm working on. Um, actually, that's just where I talk about the projects that I'm working on and <laughs> and high cholesterol and Texas politics. Um, that's that's where I think that that's a nice hub, as it were. And sure. then my podcast is Pop Schlock Pod uh, or Pop and Schlock Pod. Um, and then Pop Schlock Pod is the Twitter that is run by my creative partner, Jacob King. Uh, he is awesome. He is a wrestling promoter. So a lot of the Twitter feed and a lot of our uh, episodes, he talks about his experience as a wrestling promoter and commentator, which is awesome. Uh, I still have yet to actually see him uh, live doing his commentary, but I, he's great, wonderful human being. I love working with him. Uh, the most recent movie that we covered, actually, it wasn't even a movie. We we talked about our flag means death. Oh sure, um, which we loved. And then coming up next, it's going to be Prey when we can get our schedules to align. Which we I loved Prey. Pretty sure he loved Prey. Um, so awesome. That's yeah. I think that's the best. That's best. Best place to find it. Sounds great. And we'll uh, we'll include the, your your Twitter handle and stuff in our show notes, of course um ryan do you want to give out yours we don't really give out our our stuff on this show but we used to do you want to no especially no no not especially okay no, well, but he... i mean i'm not hard to find i tag screen or screen heroes so <laughs> i tag coming of cage in a you know in that's true. relevant tweets so i'm not hard to find well you know if, if you need uh props if you need props and costuming type things go find buster props there you go we'll plug yeah, that's your, your so cool there, i want to see your i want to see your stuff like that's, that's well i don't really awesome do a lot on social media with it these days unfortunately but we're still pretty busy i just don't share a lot about it so but yeah no, you can find fair. me there Commission you got an etsy you, you, that's you, true you know you can see but we stuff. don't post our really fun stuff on etsy that stuff that's is true. mostly in private yeah but uh but yeah you can find me derek vio on twitter we are the coming of cage podcast at coming of cage or coming of cage.com for all of our cool stuff for that meredith thank you for joining thank us you. On the show. thank you it was I really appreciate it. Um, sorry, I was actually subscribing to your YouTube channel while you were talking. Because I, uh, but no, it's it's an honor. It really is. Oh my god, thank you so much. I had a hell of a time talking about movies. Is it brings it just makes me so happy to do that. So it it means a lot that you uh, invited me. It means a lot that uh, just I'm just happy to be here, guys. <laughs> Well, we're really glad. We're glad. Thank you so much for coming and talking with us, being our yeah. first guest on the show. That's, and that's awesome. Super Thank cool. you. Yeah, like I so, said, we we never got a chance to talk about Mandy on Pop and Schlock, so I have like three years of I need to talk about this, just building up in my brain meat. I've been there. Totally understand. But uh, but yeah, so that's it for the show this week, everybody. Thank you so much for listening. We will be back in two weeks to talk about something else. You'll have to find out when we spin the wheel of cage. We'll catch you next time. Bye everybody.